Hello and welcome to another special episode of the Scottish Football Show, the third and final instalment of our European shows this month. If you missed the previous two, you can catch up on 40 years since Aberdeen won the European Cup Winners' Cup with Richard Gordon and 15 years on from Rangers' UEFA Cup run in 2008 with Kevin Thompson. But in this episode, we take you back to 2003 to mark 20 years on from Celtic's incredible run to the UEFA Cup final in Seville. Laura Brannan was joined by the brains behind the hugely popular blethered podcast, Sean McDonald, who also just happens to be a die-hard Celtic fan. Sean, thanks so much for joining us today. I think it was what, what did we say about three years ago? I was a guest on your podcast on Blethered. So it's nice to see the tables have turned now. Welcome to the show. I know, I know, I'm glad I'm finally able to repay the favour and I, I look forward to reliving what was one of the best and most exciting years of my life but was culminated into this day, the most painful, agonising conclusion that I've ever felt in football as well and that was a very tough one to take at such a young age. I, I should have known I had far more disappointment coming my way. Although I can't really say that with a straight face, can I, as a Celtic supporter over the last 20 years but there have been some painful times. Come on, you're not a victim here. No, I know, I know. I can already hear the collective eye roll. You know, like, there's a Celtic fan talking about pain. There have, there have been a few tough days, but I'd have been pretty much shooed for between since then, thankfully. <laughs> All right, well, before we get right into it, before we get into the football, let's give a wee bit of context here. So, it was 2003. Black Eyed Peas' Where's the Love has just been released. Who are you? I am God. <laughs> Bruce Almighty and The Matrix Reloaded were the big hits in the cinema at the time. You still only human. And most importantly, Celtic were off to Seville. All this year I'm off to sunny Spain. What were you doing at that time, Sean? So, in the run-up to Seville, I was... When, I suppose when we played the first qualifying game, I was 11 coming up for 12. I was a football fanatic. I would have been playing for Motherwell at the time, training there like three nights a week. George Adams, who went on to be Rangers head of youth, was in charge. And I, I was just a total football fanatic. Celtic through and through. Absolutely loved Man United. I was to have further, heart, further heartbreak when Beckham left as well, because I absolutely loved him at United. But that was it. Just my life was just football. Uh, there was pretty much there wasn't any room for for anything else probably the same as you and the same but everybody else listening as well yeah i was one of the ones that was at school doing my exams in 2003 not the infamous higher maths exam but i was doing my standard grades at the time so i'd uh, standard grade pe the day of the game and standard grade computing the day after the game and i went to a school full of celtic fans we were all told no one is allowed to wear their strip to the exam. If anyone wears a strip, they're not sitting in the exam. So like, yeah. the whole class had turned up with like jackets zipped up to their necks and hoodies on and everything. And this was like kind of the end of May. It was getting warm at this point. 
And then in that point at the end of the exam when everyone kind of sits back and you look around the room and everyone's waiting for the papers to kind of get collected and the, the time to get called and everyone started to slowly unzip their, their jackets and you could just see a little corner, a wee hint of the hoops and it wasn't until the paper started getting collected everyone just was like stripping off their jackets. Everyone just walked out the hall in a sea of green and white hoops walking out and it was strange because it wasn't Brilliant. like we weren't of the age of, they obviously weren't going to the game, they weren't going to the pub or anything, it was like literally going home to like live it in their living rooms with their parents. I know, we we had a party, my mum threw a civil party, I mean it, it still hurts me that I didn't get taken but that is what it is, because um, I just felt as if everybody else went, my, my, my two uncles went, and I can I find it hard to forgive them for not taking me. Um, but I remember the, sh- the new strip, the new hoops, because when you think back, it's actually a bit unusual, but we wore the new hoops in the final, but we hadn't worn it that season. I assume the Celtic marketing department have seen an opportunity and went, right, <laughs> we have to have that strip. We changed to Carling, but it's had NTL as the sponsor because that was still the main sponsor, which which looked a bit strange. But I, I get taken in to, to get my Celtic strip. It must have been the Argyle Street store by my gran the day before the game. By my mum through this party and made sombreros and beach balls <laughs> and sun loungers and all that in, in the house. And that, that's a really lovely memory, actually, Like when I think back to that, apart from the sickening and agony that, that followed. It's kind of, I, I think... There'll be a lot of people will be the same in saying this that the end of it didn't take away from the magic and the memories. This this sort of eight nine month long journey that we were on it was spectacular, and, and it's never actually it's never left a bad taste in my mouth. I've never been able to watch the final. I can't even watch the highlights. Like seeing Henrik's goals are still painful enough, but there's a wee weird part of me that wouldn't change it for anything. That's the thing. That's kind of why we also decided to to kind of do these celebration episodes on the podcast because obviously we did the Aberdeen one which for obvious reasons ends it's a, it's a happy ending but the, the even Rangers getting to a cup final as well and obviously you get the fans having a laugh going oh but you didn't win it and you think but well, hold on because I know that Rangers fans hold that like dear to their heart I know Celtic fans especially with Seville hold that such a special place in their heart because it's not just the final product it's 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 the journey and it's everything, all the memories that go into that and all the home and away games that everyone went to. It's not just, it's, it's, it's a long season and it spans the whole length of the season. It's right from the start of the summer to right to practically the last game. So it's it's the memories and it's the memories that everyone shares with their fans, their friends and their family as well along the way. It's how football just brings everyone together, isn't it? Regardless of the actual final score. It's not just the 90 minutes, is it? So for the days when I look back to the last season as a Celtic fan domestically, some incredible times and often the game actually only plays <laughs> a small part in it because you've got the build-up, the excitement, the travel, the togetherness, the drinking, the laughs, the singing, the arguing, the looking at the team, the getting excited, the anticipation and this like, right, we can dream here. And then there's the party that follows and the buzz and the high and granted school and granted work can rub it and uh, you know, fans of other teams' faces and reveling, and and you're basically on this eight nine month high of we may actually do something here, and this anticipation and this imagining mm-hmm. the parade yeah. and the parties and what might follow, and that's it. And I always try and see that to when people you, you know the snobbishness that you get and the derision in which um, football fans are often looked upon with, and it's like it's only you know that absolute cliched nonsense it's just 22 guys chasing a ball and you're like well first of all that's rubbish but also I the game itself is this fractional wee part 
and I pity you from ever getting to experience what we experience. These things that live for you. Oh, absolutely. Forever. Absolutely. We used to always say when we were going on Tartan Army trips back when we were rubbish, we used to always just call it the 90 minute inconvenience on what would be an amazing trip. <laughs> <laughs> it was the same story yeah, every I, time. I, it's so much more than that. We've got context then for 2002, 2003 season. So it was Martin O'Neill's third season in charge. He'd already had the treble in his first season, won the league title again in the second the squad was already iconic by this stage, wasn't it? So, like, some of the names. Larson, Sutton, Hartson, Petrov, Lennon, Thompson, McNamara, Baldy, Mialbi. Huge names. Huge iconic names in Celtic history. This was an established and successful side going into the Champions League qualifiers, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. You know, looking back at that team, I always say if, if any Celtic team that's followed, if they won... The Champions League, the Europa League, 10 in a row, the World Cup, the Rugby World Cup, Wimbledon, I don't care what they win, they will never, ever, ever surpass that Celtic team for me. Remember, I was at 2019, it was the Blyswood Hotel Restaurant, and pretty much about 12 of them walked in. I can't remember what they were over for. About 12 of them walked in, Henrik included, and I nearly fell off my chair. <laughs> Honestly, it could have been anybody, any, nobody would have got that reaction from me. <laughs> that that team is, is iconic and for me they'll always be Kings of Celtic I suppose for what they gave me it's such a an entry point in my life for, as being a Celtic supporter um, it, it sh- can't be lost on anybody just how much of a heavyweight that team was so then we go into the game against Basel but he won at home I'm sure we won and then we go over there and you think this is a formality and we go out we get beat and away goals I'm sure they must have beat us 2-0 and you go for this high of thinking maybe this is the year that we can actually make a wee dent here in the Champions League and go for it. Also, we famously, what was it, with nine points after beating Juvet, teams like Juventus, Porto, with every Rosenberg and yeah, Martin's yeah, first Rosenberg, Champions League season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we still don't go through. And you think, Jesus Christ, like, what do you need to do to get through here? And I remember thinking, like, this is the year we can do something. And you go out and then you go, we're up against who? Sedova? Sedovu? How do you say that? Sedoku? <laughs> Obviously, it sounds really disrespectful, but you play FK Sedova and uh, li- like not realising this is going to be the start of this unbelievable, momentous run of which the letter V played a huge and significant part. I was going to come on to that. What I was going to say was, so obviously Champions League qualifier, it went to Basel, Basel progress on the away goal. Considering what had went the last two seasons before that under Martin O'Neill, or even just the previous one season under Martin O'Neill, yeah. when there was that, I mean, I remember the, the incredible 4-3 game at home against Juventus, even going out on penalties against Valencia in the knockout rounds. Did it feel at that stage that dropping out and into the UEFA Cup was a failure? Yeah, it felt like a failure to me. It felt like a pure real second prize. Me in this absolute you know, Eastern European pish. And at that point, you, you're not thinking of the other teams that are in the tournament, who you might come up against, and you're certainly not thinking you'll get to the final. So you see it as a bit of a dead rubber and a bit of an embarrassment, to be honest. God, especially when you look at what we played to do and we beat them 8-1. This is how, how fickle, I suppose, you can be as a Celtic supporter on the, the sometimes unrealistic standards. Because I remember being re- looking at 10-1 and going, why was it not 16-1? It's not quite how it works, <laughs> but I was like, if you beat them, mate, one at home. Oh, spoiled we bastards. See when they won the league in 2018 and uh, we beat Rangers 5-0. I remember going mental at full time because I was like, shouldn't have been nine. And I just was like, you had a chat. Couldn't you just be happy of being champions and winning 5-0 against your biggest rivals? I was like, it should have been more. And I remember being really disappointed that they only recorded a 2-0 win. I suppose I felt as if 
I really want to save face. I really want to show teams, no, no, we are a Champions League side, but we just got unlucky. Maybe that was my thinking. Again, it's it's unrealistic, and I should have just been happy if we went through 10-1 winners. Well, you must have been happy in the second round. So Celtic, 1-0 at home against Blackburn Rovers, a late goal, a late winner as well, and then 2-0 away from home. Now, this one, this one felt like the start of something. Thompson goes across to take the corner. John Hartson up! Oh, and a save by Fadeland! Henrik Larsson was there! And Celtic have scored! Henrik Larsson has got the goal on 85 minutes! And now Chris Sutton, can he... Oh, Hartson slipped. Oh, Henrik Larsson, surely, for Celtic! Yes, he has! He has scored for the second time in this tie with the vital, or could be, away goal. Petrov will go across to take the corner. Sutton! scored so many for Blackman Rovers Chris Sutton probably settles this UEFA Cup tie for Celtic Blackman had been warned, look at these scenes of jubilation among the Scottish supporters Blackman now need four it's impossible isn't it Celtic win the Battle of Britain and they win it by a distance even the Blackman supporters move to applaud the uh, performance by the Scottish champions. That was a surprise, wasn't it, at that stage, to especially to the English media, that Celtic had pulled that off? Yeah, it was. I think, again, it's, it's the same old story, isn't it, where they were saying they were going to come and, you know, they would, Blackburn will come up and kind of sweep us aside. They were a good... And they were a really good team. Did they have... Yeah, it's not the Blackburn I, of today. When no, it, no. They were really strong. So they had Damien Duff playing for them, you know, obviously an Irish international former Celtic coach, funnily enough. Was it David Dunn that said that was men against boys? Who said that again? No, it was Graham Soonis. Was it Soonis that said that? So I, I thought this was actually a quote in the press, but it turns out what actually happened was he'd said it in the dressing room to the players oh, and, it'd been and it got out. leaked afterwards. So then it turned into headlines, which obviously was, you know, the proverbial yeah. we're sticking it up in the dressing room wall for the second leg. <laughs> so there wasn't actually a quote yeah. from him saying this, but it became that kind of famous line because it was that almost kind of English arrogance of expecting to kind of sweep Celtic aside. You go in, okay, they're 1-0 yeah. down going into the second leg, thinking, well, we're at home, we'll turn this round. But then Celtic go on and win 2-0. That's surely that was a message at that point. It really was. I think that was in the forefront of everybody's mind to go down there and say, right, men against boys, right, we'll see. And I remember being really nervous. So that's Ewood Park. Now, my first memory, or the, one of the first things I remember thinking was this is really weird because I was an English football fanatic at the time as well. Nowhere near what I felt about Celtic. Ewood Park is a, a place where I would have seen every Saturday when I would have been watching what would have then been the Premiership on ITV with Des Lynham and to see Celtic sort of almost photoshopped into this environment you're like this is weird and then you see the hoops all dotted all around the stadium there's probably more of us in the world platform fans in my memory no I purposely didn't watch any highlights or anything or any goals because I want to just go with that genuine natural memory my memory of the first goal is I think it maybe comes into Chris Sutton and I feel like he holds somebody off. It's a kind of ball round the corner and Henrik goes through and kind of lifts it over the keeper, who would have been Brad Friedel, former Celtic player. Well, he's either Celtic trialist or Celtic player. Henrik runs onto it and it's as if he just kind of really just lifts it over the keeper. I would also like to point out, by the way, that, OK, they may have been slightly past their best, but Dwight York and Andy Cole were up front for Blackburn that day. 
Yep. Do you know who else was? On, do you know who was on the bench and never came on? Egil Ostenstad. He went on either, <laughs> either went to Rangers or had just left no Rangers. Way. They were a, a proper solid side. And what what a tie a tie you get because again, like any younger listeners are, will 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 go Blackburn. What have they done? Who have they get playing for them? Bradley Dack. But no, they, this was a side that I they, they were no mugs. And even a few years later. Beat Man United at home. I'm pretty sure David Bentley scored a, a hat trick. That went maybe three or four years later. So they were a consistently decent side. Morton Gamps Pedersen, that's who I think of when I think of Blackburn in that era. But no, a very, very good team and we've just absolutely swept them aside and made Sunis look daft, which will, will always, always be just delicious. We could have won that game by more. I just remember thinking that was just a comprehensive performance. No, absolutely. And they have just been put right in their place. And it's just so much sweeter as well because you have English media who are going on cliche on supposition without speaking without any actual definitive knowledge of the game or the team that we had or our Champions League run and how that you know that was a team where Martin had set the foundations of it summer of two thousand. We're three years on and the bulk of his team is the same but improved upon. And it was just yeah, it was just brilliant, it was just so satisfying. Into the third round then, so Celta Vigo. This one was 1-0 at home, it was Larson that scored, and then away from home, actually lost, so this was a 2-1 defeat, and it was Hartson that scored Celtic's one goal, but it was two each on aggregate and Celtic progressed on goals. So this was a, this was a challenge, wasn't it? This was a kind of, almost like a stumbling block, the sort of message of, right, we can't get complacent here, yeah, we just put out Blackburn in a, a really big tie, but we can't get carried away. Yeah, as a, again, as a wee boy, and I'm quite guilty of doing this sometimes to this day, which I would like to stop, but I remember going, Celta Vigo? Don't really know anything about them. So they can't be that brilliant, forgetting that you know, they're a Spanish side, it's a tough place to go. My memory of the, the, the home game is a bit hazy, but this the, the away tie is really, really clear. And I remember Hartson getting the ball, he's back to go, he turns his man and he drives a low shot into the corner. And I remember celebrating, but thinking, what does this mean? Does this get us to extra time? Again, not taking into consideration the away goals. And the, the words I remember ringing in my ears, it would have been Rob McLean in his mad half-English, half-Scottish accent. As the ball goes into the corner, Celtic are in Europe for the first time after Christmas. Or, uh, in Europe after Christmas for the first time since. It must have been since uh, the 1970 European Cup final against Feyenoord in Milan so they would have been seen the first time in 33 years it must have been or 32 years and my memory might be hazy but my, the picture I've got in my head is they had a stadium quite similar to Hamden where it's like a running track so you can't really see fans it just felt dead weird and then you're not hearing the cheer but I just remember thinking like what does this mean then is it extra time and they're realising we're through and you're like well, and what a contribution he made because he was injured in Hearts. And yeah. So then we get Stuttgart then next. So unseeded for the draw, got Stuttgart, won 3 1 at home. Pierre Luigi Clina was the ref for this game. Was he? I don't know. I don't know. But that ever happened. I feel like I would have remembered that. It's quite iconic. So Celtic won 3 1 at home. Lambert, Maloney, and Petrov were the goals. And then in their wig tight. And then losing 3-2 away from home. So another really tough away game where it was very close. There was two early goals. Thompson got one after nine minutes and Sutton after 11 minutes. So two really early goals. But that was what won it in the end because obviously Stuttgart got on and scored three more. 
two late ones as well, 76 and 88 as well, but it just wasn't enough because that was it. Celtic won 5 4 in aggregate. And Stuttgart were absolutely no monks at that time because I think I'd learned my lesson with Celta Vigo. And while information wasn't as accessible now, I remember thinking or finding out for what I could through, through a very early good. Like, oh, this is a this is actually a decent team. It'll be tough. Henry Larson missed both of these games, didn't he? He did. He broke his jaw against Livy, and I do actually remember it so clearly. Just going up for a header, and uh, it's it's one of those one of those ones. But he's had a bad fracture, but he wasn't actually out for that long. Not as long as you would expect him to be. But I had a bit shabby. But I, it's funny that just how some things stick in your head. And for me, it's him breaking his breaking his jaw against Livingston, and you're thinking. Well, that's it. Luck is no longer on our side. You're losing a star of the show. And while we we, we did have good options from Maloney to Hearts and to Sutton, nobody is, nobody is, is coming anywhere near what Henrik can give as a player and as an individual, but to the team and I think the belief that he probably gave the other players as well. You know, you think Henrik's there, he'll always pull something at the, at the top drawer, like pulling a rabbit out the hat. But um, thankfully, yeah, he was, he was back... He was back sooner than, than expected because I think he was originally said to be up for a few months. Man was out for just a matter of weeks, man. Superhuman. And to be fair, Celtic scored five in his absence, so that was uh, probably that was actually probably a bit of a shock at that point because I think everyone was fearing the worst going into that game, thinking who's going to get the goals here. But they rallied together. Scoring those five in his absence shows he wasn't really that important, was he? <laughs> <laughs> My uncle and his pals went to Stuttgart on the away trip. It turned out they were in the same hotel as the Celtic team. Oh, wow. And I mean, can you imagine this now? They did get told, do not be pestering them. And they're like, no, no, we won't, we won't. And then what's the first thing they do? Go and pester the players. <laughs> and they're talking to them. And I think they said the players are pretty good with them. They were relaxed and they, they were just kind of, now they would obviously have their own area, wouldn't they? Or their own floor. But at this yeah. point, they're just cut, cutting about in the lobby. And they, I think it was Martin and Yule's the first person they saw. And they said they just could not believe it of all the hotels. They were in the same one and they were giving it, and this is a Roman, this means we're going to go through because you see, it definitely didn't it. Uh, I think they had the, the time of their lives, and I just remember being like, tell me every detail. You're talking of Romans, but I think at this point was when the, the V started to kind of pop up, wasn't it? So <laughs> tell us a wee bit about that. What was the kind of thinking behind this? I think it might have been the daily record that, that picked up on it first, but some somebody basically pointed out that every team that would Celtic had faced had the letter V in their name and V became victory. And it was Sedova, Blackburn Rovers, Celtic Vigo, and VFB Stuttgart. Now, one thing I noticed as well, and we go on to play Liverpool and Boa Vista. So there's the V continuing. And I remember saying, aye, this is V for victory. I remember pointing out and saying, now the final's taking place in Seville. That, but that's for both teams and that means victory could go either way. And I was like... <laughs> I remember working myself up and going, oh no, oh no, this means that, you know, there is, there is the guarantee that we're going to win and it really could go anyway. I do remember this because it was it was Porto, obviously, and Lazio, so the was, other team in the semi-final. And I remember everyone going, wait, can we, what's what's Lazio's full name? Can we find a V in it? Like, <laughs> clutching at straws. Did they play a stadium of V in it? And we're like, we've got to try and find <laughs> that V somewhere. How's this right? I have got a photographic memory. And I promise, I swear to God, I haven't pre-looked this up. But I'm pretty sure the daily record front page on the day of the game was when Henrik scored against Boavista. He did this 
He had like one arm kind of outstretched, a sort of slightly Usain Bolting. That's the image where he's where he's where he's running away. And I'm pretty sure the Daily Record front page said, "Here we go, the day of the uh, the final." I do remember there was a paper as well that had the trophy, and they tried to incorporate the trophy to look like a V shape, which again is yeah okay. The top of the trophy is wider than the base of the trophy, but they were properly trying to clutch it. Look, they're in Seville. It's V for victory. Even a trophy is a V itself. It was really sort of (laughs) great. Come on, guys. Oh man. It's funny, just uh, that, yeah, the V thing was huge for me because I'm into omens and signs and superstitions, <laughs> and some things are written in the stars. Uh, I just remember wishing, like, oh, could we not get a team in the final? Or could a team not get through that had that V in their, in their name? <laughs> ah, well, it wasn't to be fate had decided. It's Larson and Thompson. Here comes Thompson now from about 27 yards away from the goal. Larson steps over the ball. Thompson tries to drive it in low. It's a goal for Thompson. Thompson has scored just on the shock of half time. They've got the away goal. It's Liverpool now. Celtic one. Hartson now has the opportunity to play left. Plays a quick one-two. Hartson coming away there. Just about 20 yards. Hartson, what a goal! What a goal! John Hartson has scored. It's all over here in Anfield. Liverpool nil. Celtic two. The Welshman strikes. This is the game you're itching to talk about. Yeah, Liverpool. So this was the quarterfinal stage. What goes through your head when you draw Liverpool in the quarterfinals? Is it a case of game over, or was there so much more confidence built up by this point that you thought, no, actually, like we can be a match for them? Do you know the first thing that went through my mind was how good you'll never walk alone going to be at Celtic Park because they're Liverpool. <laughs> Liverpool fans were singing it as well. Remember Jerry Marsden sang it at, at Anfield. Jerry Marsden sang it at Celtic Park. Is that what it was? In my mind, I've yeah. had it at Anfield. So for anybody that's not as much of a nerd as us, Jerry Marsden was a lead singer of Jerry and the Pacemakers, and he sang it. But I remember not being happy with the way he sang it, because he's going, when you walk through a storm, I was like, mate, sing it the way it's meant to be sang. He sang it at Liverpool, Yeah, you? it's pure annoying. I remember before the game, <laughs> listening to a press conference, and Gerard Hurley said, oh, you know, it's going to be fantastic, and... You know, at times you're not going to know who's singing. I remember me looking at my uncle and he went like, you fucking know who's singing, all right? Like, at the time, it was like, Liverpool fans are not going to get a look in. That always really sticks in my head, the way he looked at me and said that at the time when we were in the car. So I looked up and went, are you taking that? Are you going to just allow him to say that? Um, but I, I remember being nervy. Now, if I think back, on the day that we lost the Scottish Cup final at Hamden, against Rangers from Barry Ferguson scored a free kick and then Lovingkrans scored that sort of diving header and and we've lost I'm sure it was Lovingkrans with diving header on that day Liverpool beat Arsenal at the Millennium Stadium to win the UEFA Cup on a roasting sunny day I'm pretty sure Michael Owen scored a bit of a wonder goal and that was in my head because I'd watched it in absolute despair I watched the highlights and, uh, and I liked Liverpool <laughs> I always had Liverpool strips and stuff. That's changed somewhat since a certain Liverpool player was Rangers manager. <laughs> I find it hard to hold them in the same affection. Um, but I did really like them at the time. And I mean, oh, this is going to be tough, but I think that Celtic team just made me dream so much and I just thought they were, they were absolutely unstoppable. Aye, it'll be tough. Michael Owen had recently won a Ballon d'Or. John Arnerisa, even players like the Finnish Sammy Hippier accomplished Premier League players 
regularly ragdolling teams in the Premier League and now we're coming up against them. The home tie didn't go the way I hoped it would, I remember being actually a bit dejected. Well, that's the thing, like, so Larson scored after two minutes. Right. And you're going off the back of that high from obviously you always get that kind of initial first five minute burst of atmosphere as well in games. That was like the absolute dream start. But then Emil Heskey's equalised after 17 minutes. It's almost kind of right. bursting that bubble. And yeah, as you're saying, like, so through every round, Celtic had a positive home result. And this kind of felt like, as you say, it was kind of bursting that bubble a wee bit, wasn't it? It really was. I think as the time went on and as the the clock wears down, the the fans can get a wee bit restless. And this is an experienced European side. They've won the tournament two years prior. And you're thinking, is this the end? Because if they can do this at Celtic Park, what are they going to do is at Anfield when they have got their crowd behind them and, you know, they've got a fantastic manager. Steven Gerrard was really was one of the best midfielders in Europe, an absolute talisman. And you're thinking, aye, is this it? You know, have we come as far as we're going to go? But that obviously turns out to be, you know, completely the opposite case. So obviously going to Anfield for the second leg. Again, we kind of touched on this. There was that sort of English arrogance from the media. They didn't learn their lesson from the Blackburn game and it was almost kind of like a formality. It was going to be Liverpool goes through. Not sure. The dream ends here for Celtic and it absolutely was not the case. It was not the case. What again, one of my abiding memories is Celtic fan hoops everywhere. Green and white hoops everywhere. Which I suppose doesn't shock me too much because I see Everton fans and Liverpool fans sitting beside each other and you're like, what? Like, this is just the most insane thing to me. But I just remember thinking, brilliant, love it. Tim's absolutely everywhere. Thompson's free kick. The Liverpool players that day must look back at that and go, how the hell is he getting that under the wall? I think it. Danny Murphy and Stephen Gerrard are the two that I remember seeing in the wall jumping up and the ball goes in and yeah, just do that. He doesn't move. Again, look at that team. They've got Jimmy Traore, Jamie Carrino, Sammy Happier, John Arnarisa, Danny Murphy, Dirk Mahaman, Stephen Gerrard, Vladimir Smisa, who was replaced by Milan Baros, who scored the goal, actually Baros scored the goal that put them through against Chelsea just uh, two years later in that Champions League semi. They've got Emil Heskey, a phenomenal player at the time, and Michael Owen. By that, that goal, and then you could probably look at it as a set piece thinking it's one of those things, set pieces happen and then obviously Big Bad John scores that absolute screamer into the cop. Unbelievable goal. He kind of started the move as well, didn't he? Plays a kind of 1-2. I think it was the 1-2 with Henrik. Just takes full control after that. And yeah. for, the, for who's probably the, the heaviest guy on the pitch, just kind of dances past everyone yeah, with so honestly, much grace. He's bleeding in a way that if he was walking in the snow, he wouldn't have left any footprints. You know, like, <laughs> it's, I remember he opens, it's, I think he maybe goes to shot, he drops his shoulder, he opens his body up, he takes it out to the right, and then bang, past the keeper, and you see then behind the goal a sort of scattering of hoops jumping up. <laughs> and you're like, yes. And I just dreamland. I was in. I was delirious. I was like, "Have I just seen this?" And the way that that feeling of you're so elated, you feel as if I'm going to pass out because <laughs> it's just so unexpected. And you're thinking, you know, he's he's that far out. I always remember John Hartz has said that that goal was his most special in a Celtic shot because his family were in the cup, mm. and I think he was maybe a Liverpool fan when he was younger, growing up in uh, Wales in close proximity to Liverpool at a time 
when they were absolutely dominating, you know, European yeah. football, not just not just English football. Yeah, it comes it comes like eight minutes before the end as well. Three one up in aggregate. You can actually just relax and enjoy it at that stage because Liverpool oh, aren't I, coming back from that. I know, I know, I know. Loads of people that were at that, um, and I, I remember asking them about it not that long ago. And saying that they were sick with nerves beforehand, and even when you're two one up, everybody knows it's one of football's biggest cliches, isn't it? You can add it to that list, but oh, well, one goal lead is the most dangerous one to have, and it at times it can be, and especially when a team are on the hunt for a goal and they're you know, they're, they're coming at you and for us to withstand that pressure against, like I say, a very accomplished European side with a, with a illustrious history just like Liverpool's and I think also the fact that the players, the Celtic players went there, absorbed what was thrown at them, but threw just as many punches back and they mm. weren't overawed because like we say, it's what would the equivalent be now, right? For me growing up, I would maybe say I was a footballer and it, for me it would be the new camp it would be Old Trafford. Those are the ones where you'd be like, wow. Well, you know, this is the football I grew up watching and being overawed by. And the fact that those players went in totally unfazed and just ragdolled that side, they cruised through to the next round. You're like, wow, man, this is just it's dreamland. And in fact, 20 years later, I'm remembering those emotions and those feelings. Mm. Those are just... It's as if, honestly, if I shut my eyes, I'm back in that living room in Rob Royston, going absolutely mental. <laughs> and the thing was, you're getting past Liverpool, you're into the semi-final. At that point, it's it's almost like all or nothing because you, you've done almost kind of the hard part and you're thinking, right, we've put out some pretty big teams here. We've done so, pulled off some big results and now it's just two games away from the final. So Celtic draw Boa Vista. The first game, so one each at home. And then one nil away. The first, the first game. Now I remember what I remember most about the first game was it was daylight, <laughs> and I'd never followed a team to that late stage in a European tournament that the clocks had changed by that point. <laughs> so it's an evening <laughs> game. Yeah. At, you know, a very renowned evening European match at Celtic Park is very much under the lights. But this one was daylight, and it was a really strange atmosphere I remember because everyone was kind of like right we've done the hard work and almost kind of what you were saying earlier was we don't know much about Boa Vista we've kind of got that wee bit of arrogance about us back again and we've also got one eye on the final here it was all a very strange kind of coming together wasn't it for that match yeah it was and you keep thinking as well it's kind of like you know we're that high up now are we going to get a nosebleed have we, when have we ever been this far and then you, nah, I, you're thinking are they going to shit themselves you know they're on the big stage you are so close and it kind of felt a wee bit like that because remember Henrik missed a penalty but he also scored didn't he right so I remember them scoring but we equalised pretty much straight away so Valharan scored an own goal on 48 minutes and Larson literally 60 seconds later equalised and pulled it back again you're like well that's it if they can come to Celtic Park and get that draw and they were a good side to both east away then so this this is a huge one so one each after the first game obviously both east have got that crucial away goal right. I was actually thinking about this recently how much I loved the away goal and I'm thinking people nowadays like kids nowadays growing up will not ever kind of know the the torture of an away goal and the nerves that come with I know. it because it's it was such a big thing I know I see me think about it that's actually a pretty farcical rule see once it's taken away 
because all I'd ever known was away goals and then you just go oh yeah okay that, that's real but he's thinking what you're like what the hell obviously so away to Boa Vista this is a huge one and then who else but of course Henrik Larsson pops up with the goods but it wasn't just the fact that he popped up with the goods it was the timing of the goal as well and this was kind of what will live longest in my memory so he scored this goal in 79 minutes and this put Celtic 2-1 ahead now that was massive because it went into the last what, 11 minutes plus stoppage time of just back to the wall absolutely park the bus and just cling on and hope for dear life wasn't it it was a nervy last kind of 15 minutes yeah that was something that Martin and the old side could do they could play this brilliant direct penetrative football and they could build those teams though that was a team of units it has to be remembered how much of a, a versatile but physical player Chris Sutton was while he was absolutely fantastic on the ball he's a man that would play started up front for his played centre mid played centre back for his loads of times like that's always forgotten that he would be like a central defender for us and he was just representative of that entire side you know Petrov could be tough as anything so could Paul Lambert you've got a back three of Valharan, Baldi and Mialbi, three absolute monster warriors and I it's just like park the bus and there's no shame in that is there I mean there is when it's happening against you then all of a sudden <laughs> I become a I become a football purist straight from you know, a graduate of La Messia who's like no this is ugly football but sometimes that just has to be done and that just summed that team up not only did they play great football score brilliant goals they were up for the fight when it mattered again in a hostile place Boa Vista fans are mental I've been, I went to a Porto and Boa Vista game Estadio de Dragao 2004 0-0 draw hash game <laughs> fans absolutely battering lumps at each other and we were right beside the Boa Vista fans and it was only so that was a year yeah but a year and a a year and a half after that game I remember thinking wow I didn't realise how how intense these fans were and they would have obviously been screaming for the stands mm-hmm. to back their team but the Celtic fan, the Celtic team have withstood that pressure and get the get just I remember the whistle going and being like we're actually in the final I didn't know what that meant what would that look like I just knew we're in the final and we have now we've now got one hand on this trophy Henrik's goal even when I watch it now I'm like how did that go in it kind of again like it felt as if he scuffed it and it felt as if it goes in in slow motion and you're like how's the keeper going to get into that and even now I feel sick I'm like I just expect the keeper to get a hand to it <laughs> even though it's already been and again how funny is that that you kind of like, like say you've seen it, there's a film you've seen you know how it ends but you still feel sick when you're watching it as if like oh the baddie's going to get him and it just shows how I don't know it's as if like some things leave an imprint on you but for that it's as if it was absolutely whacked into my brain never to be forgotten and when I watch it I feel the same emotion 80,000 Celtic football fans are taking over the streets and the bars ready for tomorrow night's UEFA Cup final it's been the busiest day ever for Glasgow and Presswick airports this is one of the greatest days of my life. It's got to be brilliant over there, all the singing and dancing. 1% of all air passengers worldwide will be Celtic fans flying in for the UEFA Cup final. The sun is still shining, the beers are still flowing, and the Celtic fans are still arriving. Espania, por favor. 
So mass exodus of Celtic Aye. fans off to yep. Seville. <laughs> what was the final tally in the end? Oh well, you get that Seville calculator <laughs> thing on Twitter, haven't you? You said it's half a million, but I mean the final tally was estimated at eighty thousand. I always remember is getting the uh, being really proud of is getting the fair play award for Set Black. Mm-hmm. But the fact that FIFA, but what is a UEFA for organised tournament? The fact that FIFA went here, that's amazing. You're getting the the FIFA Fair Play Award, which is. It's kind of like getting a ruffle of the hair, isn't it? Like a wee patronising, like, oh, at least your fans are good. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many iconic images in my head of the fans in Seville. One of them is Billy, Billy McNeil wearing a white polo shirt and grey trousers and addressing the Celtic supporters that are gathered in this in this square. God, what would have given if went. I think what I also remember as well was the amount of mental routes that fans were taking just to get any any means hiring cars and going on road trips across Europe flying to the other side of Europe to fly back again to, yeah. to Spain it was just whatever it takes we'll get there wasn't it aye here's me showing my old guy credentials but Skyscanner didn't exist back then <laughs> and it was literally probably queues at Lund Poly remember <laughs> that <laughs> old travel agents people were like saying well, how, how did we get there it was my cousin Thomas's birthday his second birthday the day after the game my two uncles they were in I think it must have been Estepona which in the grand scale of things isn't that far but they went to a taxi rank and were like got to drive us to Seville and the guy's like okay are you mental and like just take us like you need because they couldn't really figure out a way to get there either and well they had it kind of easier and I remember my auntie going mental you're going to miss your son's second birthday and all that and he's like aye obviously like, he'll have hundreds of birthdays. He won't even know. He's not got a clue. He doesn't know it's his birthday. He won't know it's his birthday. I know. I remember backing him right up and be like, I shut up, Michelle. Like, there's no way you can, no way you can miss this. But there was, there was, there was fans, like, there was fans sleeping in the streets, wasn't there? It was just, there was no, I, no there was no more accommodation. <laughs> it was that full. Full scale. There, there ain't no room at the end. Go and sleep with the donkey and the manger. Because there's just nowhere for you to, if you go and people didn't care. And do you know if it happened now, if it was in, I don't even know when the final is next year, but whatever it was, in the same way as our Rangers supporting counterparts did last year in twenty twenty two, you would you would just do it, you would stay anyway, you would like fine. If I need to just I don't know, pee into some equivalent of pure jump to get a shower on that's the only way I'm I'm kinda getting myself clean and whether it's a wee sleep in a sun lounge or somewhere, you would you would absolutely do it. You know, one of my f- favourite memories, I don't know if it's just something that's been passed down in folklore and it was a an urban legend that didn't actually happen. But apparently there was a Rod Stewart impersonator at the game. He's this Rod Stewart tribute act, but he pure looks like him. And he'd managed to blag himself into either some area or somewhere near the pitch by making them believe that he was, in fact, a Celtic supporter Rod Stewart. I don't know how true it is, but it was just, it was a story that kind of did the rounds at the time. What about the game itself, then? Celtic go behind twice, but pull it back almost immediately on both occasions. Yeah, aye, so the, the pain is short-lived. Obviously, the, the sickness... And the nerves was pretty much unlike anything I'd ever felt, apart from Rangers games, of course, because you always just feel, I feel physically sick any time we play Rangers. And that was definitely up there, probably a wee bit more, because it is a total one-off. I like Jose Mourinho, but I've never really been able to fully forgive him. Like, you gang, you absolute gang, that was all they were. But they, they were a team that played really good football, which was just sickened me constantly on the deck. And I was like, you don't want to play football, you kind of just want to, you want to waste this game and try and win it on a set piece and you can argue and say that's bitterness and 
there's game management and then there's just wasting it. But we we Porto, I've never seen anything like it. And I've I actually never really seen anything like it since. And it was just such a shame, you know, you had players like Deco. They had Derley at left back. They had was it Paulo Ferreira? Did they have Carvalho playing for him? They had Vitor Baia, strangely number ninety nine, that always stuck in my head, their goalkeeper. They had players who went on and did, you know, did the business at the very top of of European football. And I just remember thinking like why why can you not just beat us at football? And their memories will be different and of course they would have played very well, but I just thought, what an absolute load of nonsense. I can't believe they're getting away with this. I couldn't believe the ref was letting them away with it either. Then obviously it goes to extra time and that's when it kind of begins to unravel. Bobo Baldi gets sent off. And it just kind of feels at that point the writing's on the wall, isn't it? It's like just one step too far here. Celtic have pulled it back twice, still can't get that foot in front. Now down to 10 men. It was just, did it ever at any point feel like it was coming? I, I, I just thought Henrik was going to pull something out and God, I mean, the guys scored two unbelievable headers. If you showed me both, I couldn't tell you which goal was first and which goal was second, to be honest, because they're honestly they're that identical. There was also another type of extra time condition was trialled. We were the first team to have it trialled. Silver goal rule. But I think the, the I think because but because the goal actually came in the second half. I definitely mean it. So golden goal for anybody that isn't aware, I'm sure everybody is, is when the game's been played in extra time, it's like next goal's a winner, basically, won it? Like, and the game would just that's stop. That's what it would like, be. As so soon as the winning goal silver, went in, like the next goal went in, the game would just I, stop. Some mad playground shit. Like that is so that is so obscene. Oh the fact is like I don't know, the chairman are like, we need to collectively rally together to say no to this. But so silver goal, if a team scored or whoever was winning in the first half, if there was a winner then that, they would just win it, it would just stop at half time. What is the point in that? I do remember watching Golden Goals though and, and being like, genuinely like, you can't recover from it. Especially like back in the day with no VAR as well, you, there was no recovery. The ball was in the back of the net, the game ended. No matter how controversial it was. And it's actually mental when you think about it. It's actually nuts. I remember being raging not reading about that silver goal because it's like, this is a wee trial run guinea pig for UEFA and I'm like, eh, do it somewhere else. Do it in some meaningless game, not in the UEFA Cup final for God's sake. Thankfully it didn't, well, say thankfully, but uh, yeah, it eventually ended up not being implemented as such when we played in the final. Mm-hmm. And then, not to be forgotten, that Porto then go and win the Champions League the following year. Of course. That, year, that Porto yep. team go on and beat Manchester United in the Champions League the following year. The one where they score and uh, Jose Mourinho goes running down the touchline with the arms up to celebrate the players. So this was a team that were no mugs. And while I am very bitterly, you know, labouring the point about the way they they wasted the game, and they did. They were rolling about in every every contact, but they were still a, just a, an unbelievable side. And Mourinho then leaves Porto to go and join Chelsea in 2005. And we saw what he achieved there and he took a bulk of those players with him. The Celtic fans are always kind of hold that run dear to their hearts. But like, kind of looking on hindsight, so we're twenty years on now. Celtic, when you look at kind of the the runs that Celtic have done in Europe since, so what like group stages twice under Martin O'Neill, Strachan got to the last sixteen two years in a row. Lennon did it twice as well, Europa League twice as well. Ronnie Dyla got to the group stages of the Europa League. Brendan Rodgers got to the knockouts of the Europa, got to the group stages of Champions League. Like, it's consistent that Celtic get 
to the group stages and do well, but there's never really been a run since. Like, as a Celtic fan, are you happy? Are you content with being part of the competitions? Or are you still kind of got that sort of hunger just to, to go further? And as you're saying, even if it's not in the top at the Champions League level, but to do it in one of the lower competitions, is that something that you're kind of, that's still what's missing from Celtic right now? It's a really good question. And I think the answer depends, for me anyway, I can't speak for anybody else, but I do know that a lot of people will be the same as me. Bias will always come into it. So see if we did get a run in the, the Europa League, let's say, I would maybe talk myself into thinking this is far better than playing a Champions League because you've actually got the chance of getting your hands on the cup. But when I look back at the, the defeat we had against Real Madrid, there is something just so absolutely unique and exciting and enchanting about when Real Madrid, the kings of Europe, are there. We've got the display in the corner, the Champions League ball in the centre circle flag thing starts getting shaken and the song starts and you can't hear the song. And you're seeing people like Tony Cruz and Karen Benzema and all that and Vinicius Junior looking about in absolute awe. Or they gained the time against Man City when we had the 3-3 draw. It looked as if we were going to beat them. And it was the same with the roar. There's just something really special about that. And I just love to get the opportunity to remind them, like, this is me trying to do an Al Pacino speech on any given Sunday, but we're Glasgow Celtic and you're, you're an Earnhardt now. And how special that is. And, the, you know, I, I do, like a pure wee guy, like a pure like Celtic loser, happy clapper, I revel and seeing what the other players and fans are saying about Celtic Park. I actually did a thing for ABC Diario, which is like one of the biggest newspapers in Spain, and it, it was in the build-up. One of their uh, feature writers interviewed me, and uh, a couple of others, and I did the translations for the non-Spanish speakers, and he was doing a big preview on what he thought Celtic Park was going to be like, and getting, you know, chat for the fans and he was like, this is unique. And he's like, I'm not saying Celtic are the only club as that, but Real Madrid fans aren't like this. The culture around Real Madrid isn't like this. And he then did a follow-up and he was basically right and saying this. He's like, I've lived a dream finally getting to come and cover. Because he's covered Madrid for like 30 years of his life. And he's like, I've never actually got to come to Celtic Park. He's like, because wherever Madrid go, he's like, I go. And he's like, whether this team are in... European competition every year possibly not are they going to make a dent in the Champions League possibly not or probably not and he's like but is the Champions League and European football richer for having had that thrown into the mix and for this mosaic of what European football is and I'm reading this and I'm like fuck this is poetry man this is just absolutely amazing and that sentiment is what hammers it home for me and sometimes it's not about how many fights you're in, it's about how big a fight you're in and how many punches do you land on your opponent and what type of impact or imprint do you leave on them when they leave. And I, I mean, I went down the rabbit hole of watching every Real Madrid vlogger and having the ability to speak the language, you know, very, very fluently and getting to then be immersed in what they're saying and see it through their eyes. And I love, and I always say this, I always say, I would love... This is a weird comment. I would love to be in the Rangers end when Celtic score, purely to know what it sounds like. And what does it feel like, that wall of noise? Because when Celtic score, I've never heard that 
from a distance because I'm in the middle of it. And to be able to see the singing and the huddle and everything from the Real Madrid fans' perspective, when there was probably, you know, like players turn up for big games, fans turn up for big games as well. You know, you're singing that wee bit louder. You're going that wee bit more mental because you're wanting to play your part. And you like I say, if, if, if we went on it, let's just say, right, sell to get to Europa League final next year, it's not going to happen. I would talk myself into, and probably while defending my corner on social media, I'd be like, no, this is better because it's getting a chance and some silverware. But you, you want it to be, you want to be at the biggest party, don't you? And you want to have that prestige and that glamour and playing against teams. I mean, you look back at some of the wins, I mean, off the top of my head, does it say Juventus, AC Milan, the Nakamura one against Man United. Does those games where you snatch victory for the jaws of defeat and it lives with you forever. And I think when through the passage of time and when you just remember how you felt and those memories, I probably would be saying, Give us just a glamour Champions League three games, you know, even if we finish bottom eye, it's no great. And you're like, but kinda need to be a bit realistic as well, don't we? But we always seem to come up against the side that goes on to win it or goes on to goes on to the final. And we, we give a right good account of ourselves, but I suppose that's the next level in it. It's doing it continuously throughout the season and throughout your campaign, not just that that we one off win, but those nights and beating those teams are just things that live with you forever. God, I'm already, I'm working myself into a frenzy already about seeing who we get in the Champions League next year and how special it's going to be. It just makes you dream, even if only for, for 45 minutes. And do you know what? I would take that over, over any run any day. Although, if we do end up getting the run Europa League, and I'll be like, Laura, you're talking shit, I never said that, you're lying. <laughs>